going to share with you a little song that some of you might know, but I was looking a, a couple years ago for a song to teach my kids the Ten Commandments. <coughs> and this one has kind of a Jewish flair to it, but it's, it's really catchy and it, and it sticks and it helps you remember. I hope you enjoy this. We've slowed it down a little bit. It makes it a little bit easier.
Sabbath Church. Um, that was a very good song, Easily Family. We should all keep those Ten Commandments close to our hearts. Amen? All right, so our scripture verse this morning comes to you from, from <clears throat> Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 6. I'll be reading from the New English Translation in your hearing. Now faith is being sure of what we of what we hope for, being convinced of what we cannot see. And then verse six. Now without faith it is impossible to please him, for the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I was a little disappointed that Andrew didn't get up and start singing, too. <laughs> Thought it was the family, right? Well, with that said, let's have a word of prayer before we get started, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this worship service that we are all enjoying today. I pray, Lord, that you will open your word to us. I pray, Lord, that your message will flow through me to your people that all of our hearts, Lord, might be touched with the truth that you have for us here. May we not just be hearers of the word, but doers. So, Lord, I pray that you will bless us, guide us, direct us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, for he is the author of these words. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Now, um, some of you may, uh, oh, yeah, I'm looking around. Some of you are old enough to remember the Vietnam War. And there was a place there, um, I remember... Uh, it was going on when I was a child. And a, there was a place there called the Hanoi Hilton. And this, this first uh, story that I would like to share with you comes from there. Jim Collins, the author of Good um, to Great, interviewed Admiral Jim Stockdale. I like this story because it's got a Navy guy in it. Uh, the highest-ranking officer in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp during the height of the Vietnam War, regarding the prisoner of war camp, Collins asked Stockdale, the admiral, who didn't make it out? Who didn't make it out? That was his question. Oh, that's easy, the admiral replied. The optimists. The optimists? I don't understand, responded Collins. The optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said... We're going uh, to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come, and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. This is a very important lesson. We must, we must never confuse faith that you uh, will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. I want to share one other thing before we get into the word. This comes from Drake Bear, and it's entitled, What Good is Hope? Humans seek after hope, like moths seek after light. It's intrinsic uh, to whom we, who we are. Uh, neuroscientist uh, Tali Sherat uh, argues hope is so essential, is so essential to our survival uh, 
that it is hardwired into our brains, uh, arguing it can be the difference between living a healthier life versus one trapped by despair. Studies show hopeful uh, college kids get higher GPAs and are more likely to graduate. Hopeful athletes perform better on the field, uh, cope better with injuries, and have greater mental adjustment when situations change. In one study of the elderly, are you all listening? One study of the elderly, those who said that they felt hopeless were more than twice likely to die during the study follow-up period than those who were more hopeful. It's pretty clear. Hope is powerful, catalytic. And why Dr. Shane Lopez, the psychologist who was regarded as the world's leading researcher on hope, claimed that hope isn't just an emotion, but an essential life tool. Now we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And I want you to pay attention to, and many of you may know that uh, this uh, chapter is known as the, as the faith chapter. Amen? And so we start out here in Hebrews chapter 11. The author of Hebrews, I believe to be Paul, writes this. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What is it? Hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, I don't know about you, but this was hard for me to understand why it is that we have faith. If, it's, if, if we're having faith and assurances in things that, that are not seen, does that fit into the world in which we live today? You know, scientists would tell you that, you know, you have to observe something and you have to test it. Well, let me ask you this question. They say that God doesn't exist because they can't see him and they can't, they can't talk to him and such. But how many of you have love? How many of you have love in your heart? Can you prove it? Can you show it to me? Can you pull it out and say, okay, well, this is here, here it is? No, but it, we know that it exists, right? So Paul is just telling us here that faith is the assurance, the assurance of things hoped for. We're going to see where that assurance comes from this morning. How can we have that assurance, that conviction of things we haven't seen? Then he goes on to say, for by, in, uh, by it the men of old gained approval. How did they gain approval? By faith, my friends. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was, made, was not made out of things which are visible. I don't know if you've ever heard of a scientist named Stephen Hawking. Recently died. And he was an atheist whose proclamation was that God didn't exist, but one of his dying acts was to, was to make this bold claim that it was possible for nature to create something out of nothing. For nature, this is, this is spontaneously erupt something from nothing, and that's how the universe came into existence. But we have a different perspective, amen? You know, uh, they, they, they call the beginning of the universe the Big Bang. And I think that when God created this place, there was a Big Bang. He said, let it be, bang, there it was. Amen? That spark of creation, my friends, doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come out of nothing. It comes from the Word of God. That, my friends, is how powerful God's word is. It can create something from nothing. 
You know, I think God's challenge, now I can't prove this from the scriptures, but I think that God's challenge to the devil is going to be to return this planet to the state in which it was in when he started creating life here on it. What does it say? It was formless and void. It means empty. There's, nothing, there's no life here. And I think that that will be the case when Jesus comes back and we go to heaven with him. The devil is, is where? Here, right? He's trapped here. He's chained here. And God will, you know, just turn it over to him and say, okay, you've got a thousand years. Let's, let's see what you can do, bud, since you want to take my place, right? And you're so powerful. Let's see what you can do with the place in a thousand years. I'll give, give you a thousand years to get it all together. And what kind of shape is the earth going to be in at the end of those thousand years? Does Satan have the ability to, to create like God? No, my friends. So we shouldn't put our faith there, should we? Now, if we go on to verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, though, uh, or through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. The testimony that he was right. How did he obtain that testimony? It was by giving and doing what God had called and asked him to do. Amen? Should we do what God asks us to do? Or is that, is that what we're called to do? God's will? I think Christ demonstrated that very clearly for us. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ's prayer was, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. So Abel makes these appropriate sacrifices that God called for, and he obtains a testimony he was righteous. God testifying. Who's doing the testifying? God is testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now I want you to take note. You're going to hear, I think, this phrase over and over and over again in this chapter And that's why it's called the faith chapter. In verse 5, it says, by what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. By faith. Thank you. Enoch was taken up, right? And what does it say about Enoch? If you look at the end of verse 5, it says, For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. You think about Enoch's life. Enoch had such a... Why was he pleasing and acceptable to God? Because Enoch had such a close, intimate relationship with God. God didn't want to sever that time that he had with him. Now, just, just picture this in your, in your sanctified imaginations. Here's Enoch. He's walking along. He's talking with the Lord. Hey, one to three, you know, it's a wonderful day. I'm so glad that you're, you're my, uh, my creator. I, I love you. You're an awesome God. And the next thing, he's just going off to heaven, not aware maybe of what's happening. Can you imagine that for just a moment? Here you are on earth, and all of a sudden, there you are with the Lord in heaven. Would that be awesome? How many of you today are ready for translation? I didn't see any hands. Oh, there's some hands. That's really up to the Lord, isn't it? But that's what happened with Enoch. Is there not hope for for some of us that that will be ready? Amen? I'm ready to be translated. Not in anything that I've done, but in what Jesus has done. My hope is in him. Now, in verse 6, this is the key text in this chapter. If you you pay attention to nothing else, please pay attention to this verse. It says, and without faith, without what? Faith, it is impossible. Did you hear me? It is impossible to please him. That's God. For he who comes to God must believe, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that today, my friends? 
Jesus promised us, if we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be open to us. Amen? But how are we doing that? You know, the thing about Scripture is that this is God's revelation of himself. Have you ever thought about that? None of us, none of us, my friends, can go to where God resides and into his realm on, on our own power and investigate God. There's a lot of investigations taking place in this country. None of them happen to be of any value when it comes to eternity. But we have to trust and we have to depend on God to reveal himself to us. Amen? So our hope is in that God is trustworthy and that he's revealing his true self to us. And we have to take faith in that. And by doing that, we please God. Amen? Amen? Do you want your children to have faith and trust in you? We do that, my friends, by doing what God has done for us, by being trustworthy. Amen? And in doing so, our children will act in a way which pleases us. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Now, in verse 7, it goes on to say that, By faith, Noah, being warned, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. And then at the end of that verse, it says, And became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He's an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we can be righteous by what we do. But what I'm suggesting is that through faith, we can receive righteousness from Christ. You see, it's not our righteousness that's going to amount to a hill of beans, as they say where I'm from. But it's the righteousness of Christ applied on our behalf that's going to make the difference. Now, there's, a, there's an account of, a, of an individual going to a wedding, and one of the customs and traditions in that place was that when you came to the wedding, they would give you a garment to wear at the wedding. And this individual insisted that their clothes were good enough, that they wanted to come into the wedding and wear their own garments. But what does the scripture tell us about our garments? Filthy rags. Now, if you look at that in the original text, and I don't want to get too graphic, it has to do with... uh, with a lady's uh, monthly cycle. And that's the value of our righteousness. Not good. But the good news is, the good news today, my friends, is that we can turn in, if you will, or surrender our righteousness and receive a robe of pure righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus. All of us are stained by sin, are we not? I don't know anybody other than Jesus Christ that was able to go through this life without being stained by sin. I don't care how uh, self-righteous they, they appear or sound. They too have been touched by sin because Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many? All, all my friends. So how many of us need Christ's robe of righteousness to cover up our sins? All of us. So that's Noah. Then it goes on to say that in verse 8, that by faith Abraham, and then verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien. And then in verse 10, it says, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Are you looking for that city as well? You know, last week we we sang a a hymn. It was, uh, I am a pilgrim. 
Do you genuinely believe that? Or are you making your home here? My friends, let's not be like Lot's wife. The message came to, the, to, to Lot and his family, get out, right? Get out while the getting's good. You ever heard that expression? Well, that, that was basically the message that the angels gave to Lot and his wife. There, is, there was nothing in Sodom for them. There was death and destruction coming to Sodom if they stayed there. And they were told to leave and flee and to what? Not look back. Well, that seems like such a horrible sin, looking back. Right? That doesn't seem like that big of a deal. What, what difference does it make if I look back? But what it indicated was a state of heart. God doesn't want us looking here for our salvation. In this world. Our salvation does not come from this world. The true city that we're seeking is not found here. The true city, my friends, that we are seeking is in heaven, made by God himself. And that city one day will reside here, but not yet. So by faith, we've got to be looking forward to it. Then it goes on to say that by faith, even Sarah, in verse 11, it goes on to say about her, in the the end of the verse it says, she considered him faithful who had promised. Now let me ask you this question. This brings out a very, very important question. Is God faithful? If You know, when we we talked about a covenant before and how we enter into a covenant with God. And there's two two people. How many of you have ever signed a contract before? Whenever you sign a contract or an agreement, aren't there more than one party in that contract, that agreement? And both of you are saying, okay, we're going to enter into this mutually and we're going to hold up our end of the bargain. Amen? Isn't that what God did with humanity? Well, when God did that with humanity, I'm afraid to say this, and I'm sorry to have to say this, that humanity dropped the ball. Humanity was the one that broke the covenant. God didn't. God did nothing wrong. He kept the covenant perfectly. He was willing to send his own son to pay the penalty for that breaking of the covenant. But Sarah had faith in the one who made the promise. We too, my friends, today should have that same faith in the one who makes the promise to us. Verse 13, all these died. So we're going to see two contrasting or two groups of individuals listed here in this chapter of faith, those who have died, and those who were alive when this was written. And all of them, by way, uh, by, 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 uh, way of time, have died as well. But this applies to us. So listen. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Without receiving them. Is that okay? Are you okay with that? Live your whole life and and not receive what God's promised to you? Does that mean he broke his promise? But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. In verse 14, at the very end of it, it says, They are seeking a country of their own. Then in verse 16, Paul writes this, he says, They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. The end of the verse, he says, He has prepared a city for them. Jesus made a promise, my friends, to his disciples 
and to every believer since then. That he was departing from this place to go and do something. You know, back before I became a Christian, I kind of had the, the image, you know, of, uh, of Jesus. He's up there in heaven. He's sitting and playing a harp. You ever seen that kind of imagery? The angels and stuff up there, oh, they're all enjoying heavenly music on a harp. But my friends, Jesus has got much more to do than play a harp. And he gave us a promise. He said he was going to go and do what? Prepare a place for us. I hope you include yourself in that us. There's another place, by the way, that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. You're you're welcome to join them in that place, if that's your choice. See, God gives us freedom of choice, does he not? You know how he does that, why he does that? He does that because of love. Love gives choices. You know, when I proposed to my wife, I, I walked up to her, and I grabbed her by the scruff of her neck, and I told her, you're marrying me. No. <laughs> not. That's not how that works, is it? I nervously got down on one knee and begged her to marry me. <laughs> and I was awful grateful when she said yes, because there were a whole bunch of other people around. It was at a restaurant. You're really taking, hey guys, you're really taking a chance, by the way, when you do that publicly. But God has given to us a promise of a better place, one that he has prepared for us. And his promise was that he would go and prepare this place, and then he would come back for us. That's why this church that you belong to, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, has the name Adventist in the title. An Adventist is a person who's looking for the next advent of Christ. He was advented here one time as a baby. But he's not coming back as a baby. Amen. Preacher brother. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back. Jesus the triumphant. Riding on a white horse. And then in verse 17 it says, By faith Abraham... Verse 19, he considered that God is able to raise, talking about sacrificing his son Isaac on the mountain. I don't know how many dads we have out there, but I can't read that story without crying. Because I I can't help but think and and put myself, now that I'm a father, in, in Abraham's place. And how difficult that must have been. And how much faith He had to have. I mean, he's talking about his one and only child, his son. God, a God, by the way, that was not like the pagan gods. The pagans sacrificed their children to their gods. The one true God comes to him and says, hey, by the way, Abraham, you said you love me. I want you to do something for me. Will you sacrifice Isaac to me? Somewhere in the depths of Abraham's heart, God had planted enough faith for him to say yes. And he believed, he believed, as I hope you do, about the loved ones that have gone to rest in the grave, that God has the ability to raise them from the dead. You see, that's the difference between Christianity and the rest of the religions of the world. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. I hope you can appreciate that difference. I hope you can appreciate how significant that was. Because if God can raise Christ from the dead, He promises that if you die, if you go to sleep, He'll raise you from the dead. 
You can have part in one of two resurrections, by the way. You can have part in the resurrection of life if you have the faith in Jesus Christ for him to save you, or you can have part in the resurrection of the destruction of the damned. Then in verse 20, it goes on to say by what? I'm sorry. Well, that was pretty weak. By faith. Let's try it one more time. By faith. faith. Thank you. You're all awake now. Isaac. Then verse 21. By faith, Jacob. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph. Verse 23. By faith, Moses. And then I I, I found this very interesting. In verse, you, you see Moses mentioned there in verse 23. By faith, Moses in verse 24. And then in verse 25, it goes on to say, choosing rather to endure illness, ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the um, ple- pleasing, uh, passing pleasures of sin. You know why that's so significant for the, the receivers of this original letter? Because they were Jew- Jewish converts. And for them, no one had a higher esteem or represented a right relationship with God more than Moses. So the writer here brings out that point, makes emphasis about the faith that Moses had. And he goes on in verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. This talking about Moses. For he was looking to the, what? Reward. That reward was a promised land. By the way, Moses never received that promise. And that was okay. Because Jesus gave to Moses a better promise. A better place. A better reward. Amen? Then in verse 30, talking about uh, Joshua, it says, By faith the walls of, of Jericho fell down. Now, that is a lot of faith, my friends. Okay? I, I spent 13 years in the military, and I can tell you that military strategy does not dictate that you march around a city once every day for six days, and then you march around it seven times on the seventh day and blow trumpets and the walls are going to fall down. Okay? I, I, I just can't imagine what they were thinking as they were marching around there. And I, I, I can't help but think what, what the, the citizens of Jericho, especially the, the soldiers and such, must have thought of God's people on parade outside there. But God was testing their faith, my friends. When God tells us or asks us to do something, we've got to demonstrate faith. And we've got to trust that he knows what he's doing better than we do. Have you tried it your way, by the way? I have. My way didn't work. My way got me in trouble. My way got me going in the wrong direction in my life. And I'm so grateful that Jesus Christ came into my heart and changed my direction. Otherwise, by this point, I'd probably be in prison or dead. So praise the Lord, I do, that he saved me, a sinner like me. Not for the grace of God, there go I. In verse 28, talking about the Jewish people, by faith, uh, he kept the Passover. And then in verse 29, By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Uh, And and as though they were passing through dry land. So this isn't just, my friends, about individuals doing this, demonstrating faith. It is also about the collective whole of God's people coming together and demonstrating faith as a people. It's Satan that wants to divide us. It's Christ that wants to unite us. 
Let's not let Satan have his way. Amen? You, each individual, each, each individual must have faith in, in, in our Creator. We must have faith in His promises. We must have faith that He is faithful. And then we've got to come together and we've got to have faith together. Amen? Do you trust God? Do you trust Him to lead this church where He wants it to be? Do you trust God that he will finish the work through the, through the children that we have here? Because that's the promise. That an army of youth rightly trained up will finish the work. I believe that. So we see individuals demonstrating faith. We see God's people collectively demonstrating faith. And then when we get to verse 31... It says, by faith, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute for just a second. Rahab was a pagan. Rahab was a prostitute. Do you mean there's hope for lost people, too? That, that people out there that are lost can be touched by God's Spirit and by, and by a witness of God's people and, and, and find a faith in their God? Because that's what the story is, my friends. That's Rahab's story. And interesting enough, God saved Rahab, the prostitute, to be an ancestor of his own son. Amen. Are you with me? He preserved her life. You might look at her life and you might say, well, that's, that person's not worth saving. But God doesn't see things that way. We've, we've, my, my friends, we've got to stop looking at people as people. We've got to start seeing them as what God has created them. Amen. His children. That's the way Christians should be looking at other human beings. All of us, good, bad, of high esteem, low esteem, rich, poor, doesn't color, it doesn't matter where you come from or the color of your skin. Every human being on this planet has a creator God. Amen. And we belong to him, whether we acknowledge that or not. So we better start valuing what God has created for his glory. Amen? Should we not place value in each other? God puts a high value on humanity. He puts the highest, in fact, he puts the highest value on humanity. The value that he places on humanity is that he was willing to send his own son to be sacrificed for them, that they might be saved. Now, by faith it says in verse 34, that God's people, let's see here, uh, let's go back to verse 33, it says, who by faith conquered kingdoms, this is talking about uh, a list of individuals in, that are listed in, 30, in verse 32, who conquered kingdoms performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. You can think about some of who, 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 these, who these dear saints are. Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. From weakness, from weakness, were made strong. How many of you came here feeling weak today? How many of you came here with a weak spiritual life happening in your, in your life? Maybe a weak prayer life. Maybe, maybe things are happening to you in your life that you feel like you have no control over. You don't have to be strong, my friends. That's the news from God. You don't have to be strong. He is. He is strong enough for you. You know, when Paul was afflicted with his thorn in his side, and he prayed three times, God, please take this from me. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient. Amen? 
Is God strong enough for you? Is Jesus strong enough to overcome the problems that you have in your life? That's the type of faith that we have to have, my friends. Now I want to jump. We're out of we're running out of time here. I want to jump to verse 39. The author writes these words, and he says, All these, all the people that were mentioned in this chapter, those that have died, those that were still alive in the author's day, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Are you here? Are you with me? You know, this text right here demonstrates that, the, that, that those who have died are still resting in the grave. That they're not going to receive the promise before you and I are. This word that says perfect here, philio. How many Greek scholars do we have with us today? Pastor, put your hand up. Thelio. You know, I looked at the various ways that this word could be translated. In the context of what's being said here, I believe the best way to translate this is would not reach their goal before us. So the author is telling us that these individuals, those that have gone before, will not receive this gift that God has for us, this holy city that's been made by his hands, the reward that we're looking for, the city on high, that they'll not receive it before we do. Jesus is, my, my friends, Jesus is going to come back according to Scripture, and the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then those who are alive, who are, what, faithful, are you with me? Those who are faithful to God will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. How fa- That's pretty fast, by the way. Faster than you can blink. Will be transformed. And together, what? Together we will meet the Lord in the air, and then there we will be with him forever. From that point forward. Now I want to close with one last thing. This is entitled, What We Believe About Our Future Controls How We Experience Our Present. What we believe about our future, my friends, controls what we, how we live in the present. It says, imagine, and I ask, ask you to use your sanctified imaginations again. Uh, imagine you have two women. How many? Two women, the same age, the same socioeconomic status, the same educational level, and even the same temperament. Boy, you did, a, you did a really big work there. You hire both of them and say to each, listen, you say to each of them, you are part of an assembly line, and I want you to put part A into slot B and then hand that uh, that you've assembled to another person. I want you to do this over and over. How many of you worked on assembly line before? Over and over and over, and over, and over. Does it ever stop? No, it just keeps going and going and going. Over and over and over again for eight hours a day. You put them in identical rooms with, individ, uh, with identical lighting, temperature, and ventilation. You give them the very same number of breaks in a day. It is, uh, it is very boring work. How many can, can say amen to that? My wife hold her hand up. That's, she, she's doing assembly work now. It's very boring. Their conditions are the same in every way except for one difference. One difference. You tell the first woman that at the end of the year, you will uh, pay her $30,000. And you tell the second woman that at the end of the year, you will pay her $30 million. After a couple of weeks, the first woman will be saying, isn't this tedious? It's, it, isn't it driving you insane? Aren't you thinking about quitting? And the second woman will say, no, 
This is perfectly acceptable. In fact, I whistle while I work. What's going on? You have two human beings who are experiencing identical circumstances in radically different ways. What makes the difference? What makes the difference? It is their exception or expectation of the future, isn't it? Isn't it what they're, what they're looking forward to in the future? That's the difference? This illustration is not intended by my, my friends to say that all we need is a good income. It does, however, show that what we believe about our future completely controls how we are experiencing our present. We are, we are irrevocably um, attached to our hope-based creatures. We, we are hope-based creatures. And if you remember what we started out with, sciences have, have proven that. My friends, as Christians, our Christian life, our Christian life experience is dictated by what we think our future is going to hold for us. So my friends, today, don't look at what's happening around you today. Don't look at what your life experience is right now. But look to that blessed hope that God has given to us when Jesus comes again. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to have holy vision. Help us to have sanctified vision, Lord, that we'll see past today and see to that great and glorious day when you come in the clouds of glory. Lord, help us to have faith to endure until the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.